Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to Islanders Anxiety from the Lighthouse Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Dan Saracini. Uh, Michael Leboff can't be with us tonight. It's all good. Uh, we, he couldn't make it tonight, but uh, we have uh, called up uh, an emergency recall. Our friend, Carrie Haber. Carrie, how's it going? It's good, Dan. Thanks for having me. Always an honor to step into Mike's shoes. Well, we're, we're always uh, happy to have you on board, and uh, thanks again for coming on sort of uh, on short notice. But uh, we have a lot to talk about, and uh, we almost would have had more to talk about had the Islanders played their uh, game against the Seattle Kraken when it was supposed to be played, but it will be played uh, a couple of days from today. Um, but we do have three games to talk about, a win and two losses and a sort of continuing trend for the Islanders that does not bode well for their playoff push or, in fact, the rest of their season in general. But uh, basically, we have um, three games to, to look over, uh, one of which was a 4-3 win over the Philadelphia Flyers, it was their 12th loss in a row. So, I mean, it's not like <laughs> yeah, they posed much uh, much of a, a threat at that point. Um, then we have a 3-2 Islanders loss to the LA Kings and then a 4-3 loss last night on Sunday to the Minnesota Wild. Um, you know, so I don't even want to really talk about the Flyers game because, I mean, they won it. Uh, they gave up two bad goals right off the bat, Ilya Sorokin did, and then the Islanders managed to come back. Um, it was a good game. Like, I mean, they came back again. They had a terrible start. They managed to come back and and win it and against a depleted opponent uh, that really the Islanders should have beaten. They're better than the Flyers. The Flyers are really bad. They ended up breaking their slump against the Kings a night later. But uh, in against the L.A. Kings for the Islanders, sorry, it was a couple of nights later for the Flyers. Uh, 
But again, and so the Islanders went into, came out of that game with a little bit of momentum. They overcame some adversity. They beat an opponent. They picked up some more points. That's great. That's Tuesday. Thursday, they play the LA Kings, and all that disappears right off the bat. It was 2-0 LA after two periods. Quinton Byfield gets his first goal. I think that's the first first goal the Islanders have given up this season. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. We'll, <laughs> we'll go look it over later. Not a great goal for Simeon Varlamov to get off, but it was better than the one he gave up at the end of the second period against uh, Andreas Athanasiu, who was like literally sitting in the third row uh, right across, right directly, you know, perpendicular to uh, where Valamov was, and it went in right over his shoulder, eerily similar to Brad Marchand's overtime goal uh, in the playoffs. You know, they they got one back. Uh, the Kings scored again, and then the Islanders got another one back um, after the empty net goal was scored. But that was really it. I mean, there wasn't much to talk about. It was a terribly boring game, uh, and the Islanders just really never kind of they they were always behind when you gave up that first goal they were always chasing it and never caught up and then last night's game against the minnesota wild the Islanders actually played very very well in this game i have the natural stat trick up and we'll look it over in a second but they lost four three uh again down two nothing five minutes into the game Uh, i don't know who brandon duhame is but he's made a career right now of feasting on the islanders i think he had two goals against them the other than the last time they played um uh, Brock Nelson scored a power play goal. We'll talk a lot about him in a little bit. Um, but then the Wild made a 3-1, and um, uh, Oliver Wallstrom had a really cool power play goal. He was diving in, but uh, but it wasn't enough. It, it just um, Kirill Kaprizov's tip-in goal uh, about halfway through the third period was the difference. And again, Elise Sorokin was not good, which is a worrying trend. Okay, uh, that's enough. Enough recap. Um, so I don't even know where to start. Like, what do you make of the Islanders' inability to defeat good teams? The the Kings and Wild are pretty good. The Wild are, I think, in first place in the Central Division, if I'm not mistaken, or at least near there. No, I'm sorry. They're like, I think they Brendan said during the game, they're like sixth overall in the NHL, but they're like, you know, fourth in their own division because they play in the hardest division in the league. And the Kings are having a pretty good season. And these are two solid teams, and the Islanders failed to beat either of them. And again, they played well against Minnesota, but I mean, to be down two nothing to a good team like that is just a bad idea. And same with the Kings game. I don't know what, what what's your takeaway from these two uh, really frustrating losses. Well, I think simplistically, it tells us that this team is not very good. Like they have half the formula down. They beat the the bad teams pretty nicely, right? Like if you extrapolate it, I think the they're like two and three, two or three and fourteen and three against teams that are currently yeah. in a playoff spot. But that would uh, yeah, the them, number is yeah two fourteen and two against right. playoff teams. Yeah, so that <laughs> makes them like I don't it's like thirteen one and four or whatever <laughs> against teams that aren't in a playoff spot. Right, and so that's like half of what you need to be a good team, right? Like you you need to beat the teams that you're supposedly better than and and should be beating, but you then also need to beat the teams that are uh, good enough to be in the playoffs. And what they've shown us this year is that's been a real challenge for them. And I think, you know, when you, when you guys had me on a couple of months ago, we, we talked about, this was right before the first COVID outbreak. <laughs> and we talked about some of the more obvious flaws that this team had. And none of, none of that has really changed. I mean, certainly there's been a lot of things that have happened, uh, both from an injury perspective and a COVID perspective during those two months. But the, the, makeup of the team remains the same and their flaws remain the same. They 
struggle with scoring. They have some issues defensively um, in terms of skill set, not system, but skill set. And that's just who they are. And, and playing teams that are really good is going to be an issue for them because uh, if they're making mistakes that are going into the net or are wearing, or even if they're not and are wearing them down, but over time they, they do go in, um, they can't outscore them. And some of these mistakes, one might argue, are preventable, but because of the, the skill set on the team at this point, it's more fragile that way. And so, you know, I think like, I think calling them a, a bad team is a stretch because I don't think they're bad, but I think it's safe to say that that they're not very good. Certainly not good enough where you could reasonably pencil them into a playoff spot at this point. I mean, at, at some point, right, if you're going to make the playoffs, you need to go on a real run. And the only time the Islanders went on a run, which was their recent 7-1-1 one one stretch, was against, I think it was against eight or nine teams that were not in a playoff position. So I just, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of it, right? Like if you want to really boil it down. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, I agree with all of that. Um, I think if you look ahead to the schedule in February, you'll see that they might be ready to go on another run because outside of the Bruins and uh, I think, uh, you know, a game against the, the, the Western conference swing, like, you know, they got the oil, the flames are in there too. Um, those are a bunch of teams that they can beat, <laughs> you know, even the Oilers, a team that has seemed to have come back from the brink, at least recently, they can, they can go in there and beat those teams. But other than that, it's a lot of games again, again, the, uh, a lot of, they have, they play the Habs and then they play the senators maybe again. So it's a lot of rescheduled games. So they might be ready to go on another run, but even if they did, again, we're still talking about the same kind of, you know, lesser teams that are, below the Islanders as far as sort of talent level goes. And I think you're right when it comes to sort of getting half the formula, because if you look at some various underlying numbers, you can see the old Islanders sort of lurking underneath there against the Kings. Um, the Islanders had the the higher percentage of high danger chances for, they had 15 to nine in favor of, L- of New York. Uh, and then against the wild, it was even more uh, pronounced what, what I have it up here. It was thirteen to nine, so I mean, I'm not, not <laughs> more pronounced, but it was equally as as you know, uh, the swing was is equally in the Islanders' favor. Like they had the majority of the high danger chances, they put forty three shots on on the Wild, which is not usual for the Islanders. They're not a high volume shooting team, but they they just peppered. Uh, you know what the heck is his name? Capo uh, Kakinen. <laughs> I almost said Captain Talbot there, um, and they they threw a lot of shots at him, but they just they just weren't going in and. You know, they had the more high danger chances, but some of them just didn't seem all that really dangerous. And then the problem was the ones that are dangerous, they don't really go anywhere. And in fact, if you go back to the Kings game, Kyle Palmieri has a two on one in the third period and he can't score. Uh, Sezikis um, eventually scored, but like it, it was a little bit too late, too little too late at that point. Um, there were chances against the Kings and were chances against the Wild, but some of these guys have been slumping for so long that I don't think they think that they're going to score. Like, Palmieri, it's good to see him back there, but, like, at the same time, this is a dude who has two goals this season, right? I mean, uh, everybody was very excited that Wallstrom scored that goal at the end of the Minnesota game, but that was his first first goal in 13 games. Like, that's a long time. <laughs> Josh Bailey still has he – still, he has two goals now, I think, right? Like, that's – you're talking about a team full of guys that are always constantly slumping all at one time. 
And as good as they are at generating high danger chances, they've, they're getting there. They weren't there all the time. And they are good at preventing the high danger chances because their defensive numbers are still pretty good. They just, they haven't, they've barely given up any goals since December, basically through December and January, but yet their record is incredibly mediocre because they don't score any goals either. And, uh, and yeah, that's the thing. That's what's really frustrating about it is you're right. The, the formula is half there. It's just, they can't put the whole thing together and it's really just, I, I don't know what it's going to take to get them to do that because, you know, we're like 40 games into the season now and this is what this team is. They're just, they're not the Islanders from a couple of years ago. They're sort of half there, but what half you get is really up in the air until the end of the game. And then you can say, oh, the, that half showed up. The defensive half showed up. The offensive half didn't show up. That's which is what usually it ends up happening. But sometimes it's the other way around. Right. I think what's what's interesting about it this year. I mean, yeah, they're, they're certainly shooting at a lower overall. They're shooting at a sure. lower rate than we've seen in the past. I mean, I, I also think like things probably don't. Well, there's like two issues, right? The first is like things probably don't look as bleak if there wasn't a 15-ish game stretch where they couldn't put a consistent lineup out for a ton of reasons. They've had multiple stop starts. Like these are all things that I think have impacted their season. But at the same time, I don't think we're at a point where we can blame them for the season at this point. Um, And when you combine that with the fact that the teams that like the, the separation between the eighth and ninth team in points percentage in the Eastern Conference right now is so stark. Right. Yeah. Um, that I think it makes coming back even more of a challenge. And I do think that is a compounding thing mentally, right? Mm-hmm. Like these guys, I know they say they don't look at the standings, but like I feel well, no, like they do. <laughs> they, yeah, of course they do. Yeah. They know exactly where they are. They know that they need to basically win every game here on out to have a shot. Um, and so I do think there's a compounding factor on it. Then you couple that with the fact that like, yeah, a guy like Kyle Palmieri has one goal. Josh Bailey has three goals. Uh, Zach Parise <laughs> has three goals. Um, even Anthony Bavillier, six goals. Like we are almost halfway through the season and we are looking at guys who you could usually easily pencil in for 15 to 20 goals in an 82 game season. Not And they're all doing half of what they normally do, basically. Right. Yeah. It, it, yes. The only one... Um, that is even remotely on pace for pro- like what would be projected to be over a, a 30 goal pace is uh, Brock Nelson. Yeah. And he's shooting 22%, which is far over his, uh, <laughs> his career average because right. no one really shoots that high. And I, I you know, I think, um, you know, we're getting to a point where like you have to start thinking about it. maybe he might start to to slump a little bit because he's shooting 10% over his career average. And I, it's just it's one of those things where you can balance all of these things out together. But because all of these things are happening at the same time and what's happening around them that isn't in their control has like none of it's gone right this year. I think it's just it's tough. It's got to be really mentally grating for them. Mm-hmm. And it, I feel I mean, again, I'm not a professional athlete, nor am I anything close to a professional athlete. But I think when you're in a situation where it does feel like nothing can go right, that definitely does take a mental toll, no matter what you're doing and what it's about. And I feel like when you know they they see where they're at and they see the results coming off of what is generally or has generally been decent to good like process, that's tough. And I think that's kind of where they are right now. Yeah, you know, I, I know this is going to probably make eyes roll, but I, I subscribe to the the mentally tired part 
not only within this season, but over the last couple of years. Because, I mean, this is a team that's played a lot of games, a lot of pressure pack games. You know, last year, the 56-game season was like a sprint, basically. And then they, you know, got to the playoffs, and then they sprinted all the way to the Eastern Conference semifinals. The year before, you know, they they had this great opening, this terrible middle. It got paused. They came back to the bubble, and they were like a buzzsaw. So, like, there's a lot kind of going. And then the year before, super emotional full season, you know, no no Tavares, but, you know, you're you nearly, you know, you make the playoffs and you get a sweep and it's a whole, you know, so, I mean, there's been a lot of kind of emotional games in a, in a, I don't know what a short set. I mean, three years is a lot, not a short period of time, but you know, three years, you know, a lot of games and in, in a lot of emotional games in a three year stretch, I think some of these guys have just crashed a little bit. And I don't know, you know, that's probably not a good thing. I don't, maybe I'm lying. Maybe they're, you know, I'm, or I'm talking out of my ass and these guys are like, no, that's crazy. But there is something to the fact that half of this team, particularly offensively, has just, you know, cleaved their production in half. And that's without even talking about the defense, which provides almost no offense whatsoever outside of Noah Dobson. <laughs> like, he's the only defenseman who can actually make offense happen. And that is a real problem. I mean, you've got guys like, I mean, okay, sometimes sometimes play, playoff Scott Mayfield will show up again and there'll be a treat. You'll be like, oh, wow, here he is again. I can see that. But Green. Chara, really Pelic, you know, I mean, these guys, and, and obviously Ryan Pelic is hurt. Uh, Salo still finding his way. But these guys aren't going to put up that much offense, even on the power play. And I think it's it's also taxing on the forwards. And it just rem- I just remembered that last night against Minnesota, they had a, a power, I think it was on the power play in the third period. And you thought to yourself, okay, this is this is where they could get a goal. Maybe, I, I, forget, I don't think they would have tied the game, but it would have you know put them up. This was before Wallstrom eventually scored, but uh, Josh Bailey got the the uh, puck in the in basically right in the slot, and he takes a, a pretty nice shot, and his stick breaks, and it's just like this is the way this whole season is gone. <laughs> like this guy, he's finally in a good position; he can finally take a shot, and he shoots, and the stick breaks. And obviously, that's like you know out of his hands, but I think he's just squeezing that stick so tight, and he wanted so badly to put every ounce of juice he had into that shot. He just broke that twig into a million pieces and, and the Islanders end up losing the game. And it's it's really I mean, I, I don't even know where I don't even want to talk about this like playoff push because I don't see it happening. And I mean, I mentioned this a while back. You would it would you would need to have one of those teams ahead of them would completely have to fall apart. Now the Caps are doing their part in completely falling apart, <laughs> but I don't know that they can fall apart to the degree that the Islanders would need them to. And if you look at, you know, February's schedule, it's actually fairly on the easy side aside from the two road trips out West March's schedule is the exact opposite. Like you're talking about a steady diet of like penguins, capitals, Rangers, hurricanes. Like this is not going to be, if, if they're, if they're even almost within spitting distance of a playoff spot in March, that would be a huge, huge, huge uh, thing. But I, I just can't see it happening. Uh, Cause it's just, this team just can't beat good teams and they just can't get, consistent offense from anybody and it's really outside the only three guys you said nelson he's obviously the big the biggest one but i would say barzell too and and i guess lee although lee is still in a little bit behind where he would normally be but those three guys i think are are doing doing their thing it's mainly mainly everybody else and the fourth line forget i mean i know we don't count on them for offense that much but they finally started to round into shape in the last couple of games but before that you know whatever 10 game stretch before that that was not the same fourth line that we've seen over the last couple of years. It could even cite, even if they didn't score, 
they would just cycle you into the ground and then the next line would score. You know, that, that team just, that line isn't there anymore. And this team just isn't there anymore. And it's very, very frustrating to watch <laughs> as we have to like, so go through the motions for another 40 games. Yeah, it's tough. I, and you mentioned the March. I mean, they have, I think it was on ESPN that when they were playing the Kings and they should, they had like 43 game or uh, yeah, 43 games in 80 days or something like that. Mm. Because of all the postponements. I mean, you mentioned, there's like two camps. There's the camp that has been here through the three playoff runs that have played a ton of hockey over that period of time. And the majority of them, not young in terms of hockey. (laughs) And then you have the other camp who has largely come in along those lines who are not young, if if not the opposite from a Mm. hockey perspective. And we're expecting this team to go on a major run playing that much in that short of a time. When they haven't been able to put a, a real consistent string together against quality teams, I just I'm not buying it. <laughs> yeah, um, it's not feasible. It's not. It's yeah. not. And I think I think last night's loss, specifically last night being the Minnesota game, was the most impactful for me this season because it really did feel like a bit of a nail in the coffin. <laughs> uh, you know, they, they fell back under NHL 500 and obviously that's problematic to begin with, but you have a, you're, you're playing from behind um, figuratively, you know, within like the standings and going into the game, then obviously you're immediately behind, but moreover is you play a game that well and have nothing to show for it in a game where like, if you play that well, you need two points. Like there's no leeway to be like, it's okay. Like they only got a point or it was a close game, but like, it's fine. It's January. They're still in the hunt. Like we're at the point where if you have a game like that, you, you need to win. And it, it it's just, it, it's really like indicative of all of the issues holistically that they've had this season. They've just kind of boiled down to like, ah, so close. <laughs> like oh, you're really trying out there. Yeah. And I think, that's a shame because I think they are really trying out there. And I think this is really frustrating for them, but uh, it, what it just kind of felt like, okay, like this is just, isn't going to happen this year. (laughs) And however we all need to grieve that or accept that (laughs) or whatever it needs to be. um, That's kind of how I was feeling after that loss last night. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm just looking over the last two months and of their losses, Everything has basically been by one goal. I mean, you go back to December, they lost 2-1 to San Jose in overtime. They lost 4-3 to Nashville. They lost 3-2 in a shootout to Chicago. They lost 4-3 in a shootout to Vegas. They lost, you know, 4-3 to Minnesota last night. They lost uh, 3-2 to the Kings. Like, these are not blowouts. (laughs) These are not, you know, oh, my God, they were never in there. They beat the Devils. And even even the games they win. You know, they beat the Devils three to two. They beat the Flyers four to three in a shootout. Again, thank you, Oliver Wallstrom. Like, this is not a team that that gets into blowouts, and they never have been. And so, again, th- defensively, that's good. That's you know, you never want to get kind of you know your doors blown off. But they're just on the consistently on the wrong side of those coin flips every night. And again, yeah, I mean, I, I hadn't thought of it that way, but you're right. Like to come out of that game last uh, against the Wild with zero points is really just 
that's a real kick in the nuts. You know what I'm saying? Like if you come, even if they had gone, let's say they had tied the game and they lose in overtime. Well, you know what? In overtime, anything can happen. Even in a shootout, hey, it's a shootout. You know, one one coin flip or whatever. But like, it would have been disappointing. But at least, hey, they got a point out of it. To get nothing out of it is really, really terrible. And again, if you're if you're one of the folks that that feels that they have what it takes to to make the playoffs, so I mean, good on you. Like, keep the faith alive. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to to hear that. But uh, you know, it's games like that that just you know, I, I would say. I don't know how many more of those they can take, but they shouldn't have had last that one, let alone any more. Forget forget more. Uh, getting one of those is is a pretty bad bad thing to happen if you're trying to gain as many points as you can. But uh, there, there were so many um, like opportunities late in that game where yeah. if you play back the last three seasons, they tie that game or win that game. Yeah, like the, um, go ahead. You no, know I was going to say it's also worth noting that. In that game, they had, I think, three or four posts. They had a post and a crossbar and maybe something else in the Kings game. So, I mean, they're just always kind of right there, but they're just not falling from this year. Like you said, last year, that that kind of stuff goes in. This year, you know, Barzell has the goalie dead to rights last night. And mm-hmm. he, a, I think the first one he missed, he hit the post, he got the rebound, and then he shot it wide. <laughs> like all within a span of about 10 seconds. So, yeah, it's just how it's gone. Even, even the last couple of even like the last minute. I mean, there was the play earlier in the, in the third period with Bovillier, like literally <laughs> alone in front right. and Palmieri gets the puck to him. And she's like, I don't know. And then in the last minute, like they had, I think three or four chances that I was so sure we're going to go in. Mm. They just, it, it was like prime NHL scoring chances. Yeah. And it's not even like, I don't think they're capable or I don't think, they played it right or anything like that. It's just like things are just not happening for them out there. And like that's hockey in a lot of ways. Hockey is, is very like there's a lot of variance in hockey in the sense right. that like you can do all the right things and, ha- and get nothing to show for it. And some weird things can happen and you can get a lot out of it. And right now I think they are honestly doing a lot of things that they should be doing, but they their mistakes are going against or going in. And they can't outscore them right now. And I think, like, it's a very simple way to put it, right? Like, I know I've said that a couple of times so far, but I think the way that they play, the trot system, the makeup of the team from, like, a roster construction point of view, they do have not as much margin of error as some other teams that have objectively more dynamic skill. (laughs) And they, yeah, they, they are a team that needs to play from a lead to be successful over long periods of time. And you mentioned that they are doing a lot of chasing right now early on. I think that makes it exponentially harder for a team like that to come back. I mean, we saw that in the playoffs like a ton over the right. last few years. They give up the first goal and it would feel like <laughs> they were climbing a mountain. Right. And yet they were they would still do it because that they were just in that kind of zone. But mm. you know, when that kind of runs dry, this is the outcome of that. And you know, there's a, a big difference too in playing a January, late January game when you're in like tenth place in the Eastern Conference against the Western <laughs> Conference team than when you're playing Game Six at Nassau Coliseum against right. <laughs> Pittsburgh or Boston. Like, it, there's just, it's, I, I, I think you're right. I think there might be some that would eye roll at this, but these are humans with real emotions, and I do think that there is a, an aspect of this that. I can only imagine would be very, very mentally draining, especially coming off of 
three playoff runs like this in weird seasons in a situation where the entire team pretty much has is coming off of having COVID, stop starts, all of this. Like I'm exhausted talking about it, let alone living it. And I think that is I, I don't want to excuse the entire season with that because I do think there are legitimate issues with how the roster was made up. And I think a lot of that does fall on Lou Lamorello, but it is not, it is not something that can be disregarded completely. Like the, there are real contexts to this season where you can take a look at it and say, these guys deserve another shot in a more normalized situation. And I think that would be very justifiable too. Yeah. Well, I, I'll be honest when, when they canceled the, they postponed the game on Saturday against the Kraken. I was like, that's it. This season is just cursed. <laughs> like It's just, it's cursed season enough already. Yeah. Even though they rescheduled right away, yeah, yeah, they'll play it on Wednesday. Not, nah, nah, it doesn't, it's just enough for it. You know, now the weather is against them. It's a whole thing. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and uh, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about Barry Trotz and his system and Lula Amarillo and uh, maybe a little bit of, you know, what, what they can do to, fix things perhaps uh, in the future uh, and, and maybe what they should look at in order to fix things. And uh, some of the decisions the coach has made lately that have uh, rankled the ire of Isles Twitter. Wow, we haven't talked about that in a long time. All right, so uh, come back in a minute and we'll, we'll talk about that. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And now a word from our sponsors. First is always VintageIceHockey.com, where you can get t-shirts, hoodies, and mugs featuring over 100 classic hockey logos. Vintage Ice Hockey also carries our Al Arbor t-shirt, and our portion of the sales go directly to the Center for Dementia Research. Still haven't heard back on the code yet, so just hold off on using that. But eventually, you will be able to use the code Lighthouse15 and save yourself 15%. But in any event, you should definitely go to VintageIceHockey.com. There's new stuff happening every day, and uh, it's all pretty awesome. And uh, get an Al Arbor shirt while you're there, too. Uh, Betway is the official betting partner of the NHL. Play big pick for free or play for real. Residents in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Colorado, Idaho, and Iowa only. Boy, I need to check on that New York status. Uh, they're probably live in New York too, but I don't know. Don't take my word for it. Click the link in the podcast description to join. Must be 21 or over. Terms and conditions apply. Try wines from the Pinot Project, delicious Pinot Noir, Pinot Grigio, and Rosé, all under $15 a bottle. Available at your local wine shop and at UBS Arena. Please play and drink responsibly. So let's talk Barry Trotz. Uh, Mike is not here, and Barry Trotz is uh, uh, one of his favorites, as as he is mine, as he is yours, as he is probably most of our listeners. Um, you know, I think it's fair to, to question some of the decisions the coach has made lately uh, with Palmieri back. Somebody had to sit, and that somebody was Kiefer Bellows. You know, Bellows had, had looked more lively in the last couple of games, but again, like Wallstrom, 
you know, looking lively and putting the puck in the net are two very different things. And, you know, when people get mad that he's sitting, I'm just like, yeah, I guess so. Like, that's just how how it rolls. Um, I don't know how much of this season could be really placed at the feet of Barry Trotz. And, you know, we, we talked about it. There are some roster construction issues. There's definitely some, uh, out of their control issues that the Islanders have dealt with in the road trip, the COVID, the Pollock injury, the rescheduling, everything has just been completely stuff that they haven't had, you know, again, any fatigue that have dealt with over the last couple of years, that's all stuff that they really can't control that much, but stuff that can be controlled, not replacing Nick Letty, maybe, you know, bringing back one or two, too many guys uh, and not, you know, having the same, kind of new new blood that most teams need to replenish and revitalize themselves over the offseason. That's all stuff that that falls on Lou Lamorello. As far as the coach goes, again, like you look at their underlying numbers and like defensively, they're still the same old team. They don't look it all the time, but I mean numbers wise, they're still not giving up a ton. I don't think the coaches, you know, I don't think they've tuned the coach out. We haven't gotten to that point. We're far from that point. Um, would it be nice to see Oliver Wallstrom playing, you know, with Matt Barzell or coming out more earlier than ninth in the shootout. Yeah, sure. But I mean, I don't know, man. Like I just, I find a lot of the, the ire directed at the coach to be a little bit misplaced. Is he perfect? No, but you're not going to get any, nobody else out there is going to get more out of this roster than Barry Trotz. And that's my whole thing. And that might be like a reductionist thing to say, but like, I just, I just, this is his team. Like he built, they built this team in his image. And this is the team that he's going to get the most out of, even if they're not right now. Like it's just, you know, this is kind of how it is. But I mean, over the last three years, he has. Nobody's got nobody would have gotten this much out of this roster other than Barry Trot. So I'm riding with the coach. That's my theory. <laughs> I am too. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think what's happening. Well, I think a couple of things are happening. The first is there has been a misplaced narrative where it's basically been kind of like an assumption that like it doesn't really matter who is playing for the Islanders. It's the system that will that is successful mm. and not the Islanders. And I think that is not true. I think what we have seen is that we've talked a lot about this tonight, but like the makeup of the team has changed. They've went from a very active defense to a more plotting defense mm. elder defense i think that's <laughs> i think that's hurt things a lot it's an apt description i would say <laughs> <laughs> um and i think the other aspect of it is the reality of losing jordan eberly it's not even about the production that that they've missed it's the way that he plays mm. I, this was a miss i i was wrong about this too i was like well paul mary fits better he fits the style they want to play he should still you know be able to contribute xyz but the thing about it is that you need a mix of styles to be successful and it's not just about the idea of jam so to speak (laughs) i think jam is really important i think physicality is really important i think how the islanders play is important and i think that does drive success or a part of success in this league. But I do wonder if they are a little over reliant on that at this point. And how I'm tying that together is when things really hit the fan this year, I think 
what was proven was that no, it's not a matter of uh, it doesn't really matter who's on the ice. The, the system will be successful because I think they still played the system as it was intended to be played. They really, I mean, I know there were a couple of games where they got their, their doors blown off when they played like a full AHL lineup, but for the yeah. most part, <laughs> you said it. yeah, for the most part, you said it like they, they really have not been like blown out this year. Hmm. So I think that's, that's kind of a myth, a misplaced narrative. So that's, that's the first part. I think the second part is because the team has struggled, there is more of a desire to see what you got in some of the younger players. And I think that's fair. Um, I, I, because at the end of the day, like if, if you do see a bit of a dead end, like you should at least start to gauge whether some of the young players in the system and on the team can be part of success in the future. But one, I don't think the team sees themselves as dead yet. <laughs> and two, I think this is a coach that will and always will be reliant on more experienced players. Um, I think that is generally a good thing. Mm-hmm. But I think when the team is struggling, it puts more of a focus on the young player aspect, the time on ice, the usage, all of that. And I think those things are really difficult to reconcile right now Uh, i think that and i'm sure we'll talk about him more but i think like there's major differences in each of the young player situations right now Noah Dobson playing a ton right now right in part because ryan pollock is is injured and has been injured for a while but he's also earned it yeah he was healthy scratched like two or three weeks ago and (laughs) has come back and has been really good you know, Kiefer Bellows, I think, is in a situation where he's honestly in it, like he's in a place where he kind of needs to show that he can be a regular in this league at this point. And that's been a bit of a challenge for him, even with some of the more recent like production success that he's had. And with Oliver Wallstrom, I think that they see a ton of potential in him. I think they do see him as a future first line winger. And I think they are looking at it as he's not consistently able to score yet, which you can say is potentially part of confidence and how he's used, used in all of those things. But I do think they see him as a huge part of the future. I also think that they see him as a 21 year old kid. And I think that those things together is kind of hard to see forest through the trees in terms of like their process for developing young players, but they have their process. Every young player that's come up over the last four years has more or less gone through the same thing. If you don't, I don't know if you remember, but in Barry Trotz's first year, how much did we talk about Matt Barzell playing 15 minutes a game? <laughs> I feel like true. that was every other game we were having that conversation. Right. Now he's playing 19, 20 minutes a game. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so, yeah. Yeah. Every coach does that though. Like that, this is every coach. And, and the only ones that always play the kids are the ones that only have kids to play. Like the, the reason the senators play so many kids is because they have nobody else on the roster. Like that's all, it's all kids. That's it. Cause they, they have nobody left. They traded them all. One of whom plays for the Islanders now, you know, like, so they, they're stuck doing that. But yeah, I agree with you. I mean, to me, I think that they, they know what they have in Wallstrom and they just want to see more out of him. And he, you know, hopefully he can get to that point and, and play and, and earn that spot 
to play with Barzell. You know, as far as Eberly goes, and I thought it was really funny. Uh, again, this was supposed to run before they played the Kraken, but Kevin Kurz wrote an article for the Athletic that uh, that was very interesting. Like, you know, he, he talked to Eberly, or at least you know, it was on the Zoom with Eberly and Barzell, and they kind of talked about their relationship and and how they were so, so successful, and and you know how smart, uh, Barzell talked about how smart Eberly was, and even without the puck, he's always kind of in the right spot, and and his he's a super intelligent player, and he's he's able to kind of like you know, move without the puck so that he gets open so that he creates chances that, you know, they can then finish. And Everly talked about how he and Barzell were and Lee were super tight. Like they hung out uh, off the ice and they, you know, had a, a real chemistry just sort of personally going on. But what's funny to me is that like, you know, Everly has, I think 12 goals this season. And there's a, a line there where Kurz writes <laughs> that he hasn't scored since December 1st. <laughs> it's just like, right. yeah, Okay. That's Jordan Everly, right? Like I, so that's totally Jordan Everly, right? Like, yeah, he's got 12 goals. Hey, that's good. But he also hasn't scored in a month and a half. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah, or two months at this point. Yeah. So it's like, he. that's, and then I remembered, oh, yeah, that's the thing. Like, Everly would end up with, you know, 18 or 20 goals. And you think to yourself, well, he could have had 35 if he didn't go through a 20-game <laughs> slump in the middle of the season. Yeah. Um, and so, and it made me start thinking that the Islanders still have a bunch of guys. This is what I was talking about before. Like they still have a bunch of guys like Bailey, Beauvillier. Now you can throw Walsh on the list. Even Pajot, like these guys have gone through these long slumps and they've always had them. And it seems like, I know he's shooting, he's doing this sort of crazy shooting percentage this year, but even still, you know, the whole joke about Brocktober was that Nelson only ever scored in, in October and then he would go completely dormant for the rest of the season. Well, that, that joke is done. Like now he's scoring in November, December, January. Like he's the guy who broke out of that, and he's the guy who found somehow a way to score, to spread his scoring out over the course of the season. And nobody else seems to have done that. And you know, I, I don't know if again, like losing Everly, and I and listen, I'm gonna I'm not gonna sit here and pretend like I wasn't saying for years. Well, they're gonna have to lose Everly in the in the expansion draft, maybe trading like Letty's on a bad year. I don't think I don't think those two moves in and of themselves were that that you know, ill thought out or whatever, but it's the definitely the not replacing them. That's the problem. And I think that's where we get back to the roster construction issue. Where it's like, you know, we've talked about it at length on this show and Arthur Staples mentioned other people have mentioned other, pla- other places, not replacing Nick Letty was a huge mistake. And yes. I guess you weren't the only one who thought that Kyle Palmieri could replace, you know, Jeff- Jordan Everly because, you know, Palmieri is a little bit younger. Their production numbers wise is the same, but they're definitely not the same player. And, there's something, you know, th- does that excuse Paul Mary for having, you know, one goal in, in, by the end of January? No, they're just going to need to figure out how to unlock the most from this guy and get him to a point where he is as productive and integral to the makeup of the team as Everly was. I don't know how that's going to work because at this point now, I mean, this guy's been on the, on the Islanders for, I think almost 50 games and he's got three regulation goals. Like, how does that even work? But he's got seven playoff goals. <laughs> like, I don't know. If he can't right. get more goals in the regular season, I don't think he's going to score more playoff goals. So <laughs> there's a lot going on that that is just very, very exhausting <laughs> and, and a little bit worrisome for the future, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I think with – I agree with you. I don't think it's it's losing Eberly as, as Eberly. I think it's losing Eberly, the more shifty right-handed right wing that can play on the first line. Right, that that they're missing the guy that is. If you look at what made the and and you know if you look at like the the metric so to speak like that first line of Lee Barzell Everly wouldn't didn't really wow a lot of people but 
the way that the, that line was made up, it was a net front guy whose primary, his role is to, to score goals in front. It's the all world, you know, playmaking center. And the other winger is like a bit of that, like shifty can do it all, can score goals, can make really, you know, shifty plays, dynamic plays, good passing. Mm. They don't have that guy on the right wing right. at all anymore. And I think the reason why they keep defaulting to Josh Bailey is because he's kind of the closest guy to that stylistically, but Josh Bailey's a left-hand shot and <laughs> Josh Bailey, as much as I love him, is not as skilled as Jordan Eberle is when it comes to those kinds of plays. I think Bailey has higher hockey IQ. I think he fits the mold of a, a lot of what the Islanders want, but in terms of like true top end ceiling of skill, Eberly, I think, outpaces him there. And so, and then you look at a guy like Wallstrom, and right. Wallstrom isn't that guy either. I was going to say, he's not that, you did, you just did not describe Shifty and like Playmaker does not really describe Oliver Wallstrom at all. No, and I think there's definitely a world where Matt Barzell and Oliver Wallstrom make a really good dynamic sure. first line pairing, but is Anders Lee the winger on the other side of that? I think that is a legitimate question because what happens in that scenario, everyone's going to crowd Barzell as soon as he tries to enter the zone with the puck, especially because going back to the Nick Letty thing, which is, I mean, that was my biggest concern personally was Mm -hmm. the replacement of Letty. And they don't, they have one guy that, can like kind of consistently carry the puck in defensively and that's no adoption. And even then he's not elite in transition yet. Yeah. Doesn't mean he, he, he could get there, but he is not at the same caliber as Letty or Devon Taves or like some mm-hmm. of these other guys that they've had come through over the last couple of years. And I think the hardest thing that's to reconcile between all of this is that when this, when the 1920, which in my opinion was the best team that they've had, even like even through last year, I think the best overall team that they had was to, was 2019-20 because they had a truly elite defense with three number one guys of uh, Pelic, Pollock, and Taves. They still had Nick Letty. So you had four guys that were capable of entering the zone with the puck. And then you had Dobson, who was still developing at that, you know, really nicely. And you round that out with, you know, Mayfield and I, I forget who else was there Green. prior to the trade. Well, <laughs> prior to, to Green. And, oh, yeah. you know, I think like that's more of the makeup of the defense that they will need to compete going forward yeah. than the one that they have now because the system is too taxing on forwards if they don't have support defensively in transition and they just right now they just that's just not how they're made up yeah the the defense that and i noticed this particularly against in the last two games like they just don't have any support and like even just to forget about carrying the puck out of the zone getting a breakout pass out of the zone mm-hmm. is hard <laughs> and you know i'm sure that these guys are working hard out there and they want to do that but chara green um, you know, they're just, they're just, they can't do it and they just can't get the puck up to the forwards. And then when, even if they do, 
it's always kind of like a wonky pass on like a backhand and nobody ever like, you know, catches a, catches a pass seamlessly in transition and moves up the ice. Mike and I talked about this a couple episodes ago. There is no, there is no, uh, rush, rush chances anymore. There are not, there is no transition game. Like they don't have that anymore. I mean, remember when, you know, the Islanders would like kind of, the, the other team would be in their zone. The Islanders would be keeping them from getting any shots. Maybe something gets through, but it's kind of not dangerous. It gets pushed off to the corner and then a defenseman will pick it up and they'll kick it up. And all of a sudden it's a two on one, the other way. Usually it was Everly Barzell, but sometimes it would be like Bailey and Beauvillier or Nelson and Bailey or some kind of combination of that, even by Pajot and, and uh, somebody else on the other side. And, and they would score like that. That when was the last time that happened? <laughs> like it was a couple of those in the Kings game, but again, now it's like, you know, Paul Mary, and he just can't bury it because I think this is just maybe it's, it's the slump is too far in his head. So, but I mean, again, that's few. And I'm trying to come down on Kyle Palmieri for that one blown two on one. The guy's been hurt for the last month, but it's just how it is. Like that just doesn't happen anymore for this team. And it used to happen all the damn time. I mean, just the idea of an Islanders two on one probably sends Penguins fans into like convulsive fits because they've lost a two playoff series essentially, you know, with Islanders getting two on ones all the time. So that doesn't happen anymore. And I think that has, a lot of that has to do with the losses of that defense. Nobody wants to hear it about Letty and Taves anymore, but like, that's just how it is. And yeah, it's just, I, I don't know how they're ever going to get back there. I guess is what really bothers me. I think they're going to have to step out of their comfort zone in terms of the kinds of players that they've acquired over the last couple of years and take a shot. I mean, they had a guy like Eric Gustafson in camp earlier this year and like by no means is Eric Gustafson here <laughs> the kind of, you know, elite right. level defenseman, but he brings something to the table that they are lacking and ha- and are still lacking. When you subtract two guys like that from your I mean, they subtracted two guys from their lineup that were legitimate threats to carry the puck into the zone. And did not replace them with players who who could do that with consistency. To me, it's it was never about that. What made this team successful was never about, um, or maybe I should say it this way: people would say that the drawback of the Islanders was that they never had enough top end skill. But to me, that was never. I mean, maybe that was like an issue in the aggregate, but when you actually watch them play, what made them so successful was their ability to do to do counterattacking, exactly what you were just saying. And to be a, a, a true team that can play in transition and off the rush, well, they just took two of their biggest assets in that mold and did not replace them. Right. And I think they are, one, I think they are aware of this. I, I, I'm not going to say that they're unaware of it. I think they are. That was going to be my next question is, do they know this? I think they do. <laughs> they do I, think, I, I think where there is, there might be a little bit of like cognitive dissonance, almost like a gap mentally mm-hmm. is the idea, like their identity nationally, when people think of the Islanders, if they think of the Islanders <laughs> is they are a hard hitting defensive oriented, um, will knock your teeth out intense team. And I think that is true about them. But if you look at the players that they acquired this year, it fits only that mold Mm -hmm. and not the mold of what I think was actually making them successful, which is having that, but then also complementing those players, which you need with the skill guys that can capitalize on mistakes that other teams are making. And I think that's, 
that's where the gap is right now. They are too, too much in the, um, you know, the mold of like everything I just said. Mm. And while they have skilled players on this team, that like there there are skilled guys on this team, they are either like not refined yet, or they don't have the compliments they need to like create a true dynamic pairing. And I think that's that's kind of the biggest issue yeah. right now. It also makes them easier to defend. Yes. It, it's it's much easier to defend a, a line with one guy that can do these things as opposed to two. Well, and it seems like every time the Islanders get a shot on goal, it's blocked. It's kicked out to the side. It doesn't get through. Like this happens all the time. And nobody seems to have like a, a hard shot. Even Chara, the guy who a couple of uh, national media guys from Sportsnet, who I shall remain nameless, uh, were trying to get to go to the All-Star game for the hardest shot competition. I don't know if they've watched Chara play this year because his shot ain't that hard anymore. You know, he's, he's kind of laying it in there and it doesn't work. Um, by the way, speaking of that, when, when you said, you know, when teams talk about the Islanders, if they talk about the Islanders, that's the most Michael Leboff thing you could have possibly said in this guest appearance. So <laughs> that's it. That's exactly what Mike would have said at that exact moment. But uh uh, yeah, you know, I, I agree with you. I think, yeah, I, I hadn't thought about it that way either, but you're right. Like the identity of like being this sort of grinding, hard hitting, um, you know, constantly hardworking team sort of diminished their, their intelligence, their, uh, speed, their counterattacking ability that they used, they used to great effect over the last three seasons. And that's just absent this year. And it's just, you know, what's funny to me now is like people thought that they were boring, before, oh, that team, they're so boring. All they win is they they, they bore you to death and they win the game 2-1. No, I, I actually found those games to be quite interesting. This team is kind of boring. <laughs> and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they don't win very much. But also, like I said, they just they just don't – the Minnesota game aside where they had – and the Kings game where they had a great deal of high-danger chances, even, even still, the high-danger chances they're creating now just don't seem to have the same kind of like flair that they used to have. Again, the, the two-on-ones are gone. The kind of like you know open space stuff, you know, finding Everly in space, that kind of stuff hasn't happened any lately. And and when they do happen, they're not getting buried where they used to in the past. And so yeah, it, it is. It's a very weird sort of cognitive dissonance about what they are, what they were, and what they are now. <laughs> like that's there's a lot going on there. So maybe maybe that's why this is so exhausting. It's too much brain power being used <laughs> to watch a hockey game. Yeah, yeah. I think the other part of it too is. I mean, I think there's like a lot of compounding factors. I think we've kind of like hit a lot of them. Yeah, we're also, yeah, we're just counting like the whole, the COVID problems, the injury, you know, Pollock is being out obviously is a huge thing and, you know, guys that were on a COVID list and all that. But even still, like getting these chances less, like having less two-on-ones, having less three-on-twos, having less opportunities to carry the puck into the zone to generate possession is a compounding factor. Like you just, you don't have it as much. So when it does happen, Maybe there's a subconscious, we need to make this one count. Maybe it's not subconscious. Maybe it's just like, well, it, it didn't count and that and it's over. Like, who knows? But I think the like because those opportunities are more scarce, they become they feel more important. And then when you're at this point in the season and you're looking 20 points away from a playoff <laughs> spot, it be it it feels even more dire than that. And, you know, I think that's yeah, those things like they play a huge role. And I, I I think some of that frustration is definitely now being taken out on Barry Trotz, yeah. especially in relation to 
how he's using or not using Oliver Wallstrom. <laughs> and, you know, I think, I think the team like feels it too. Like they've been more testy in some of these press conferences lately. And I, I think some are frustrated by that, but like, I don't know. I think going into a season where more than a handful of people pick them to win the Stanley cup to see a play out like this, that would probably frustrate me too. It has. <laughs> I know it has frustrated you and it's frustrated a lot of other people. But yeah, that's, you know, it's so funny that that that's so far in the rearview mirror now that I almost don't even think about it. But when I do, I get extra mad <laughs> and that really bothers me. But um, this has been uh, this has been fun. So the Islanders do have two more games coming up against the Senators who are playing right now as we speak and the Kraken again, the rescheduled game. These are both not very good teams. It would not surprise me to see the Islanders win both games. If they lose both games, forget about the Minnesota game being the nail in the coffin. These two, I mean, you lose a game to Seattle at this point and you're trying to do a quote unquote playoff push. Your nails are done. That's all the nails you could possibly need. But uh, we'll have to see Jordan Eberle's return to an arena he never played in. So that'll be an emotional day. I'm sure they'll have a nice video for him and all that stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting. Let's assume that they win these two games. Let's be optimistic and assume they win. You know, I, I don't know how that affects their bottom line. They're 17 points out. And the, again, those teams ahead of them aren't going to lose anytime soon. The uh, Olympic break was supposed to come up, but now it's been filled with games. And so the Islanders have a trip to Western Canada. They come back and they go right back up to California again. So it's another, you know, the, the games themselves, I think, can, you know, are games that the Islanders can can win, but. You know, who knows now the travel aspect? I mean, those are that's a lot to do, a lot of travel in one month. They have only, you know, whatever it is, two, two or three home games. So they've been home for a long time and and you know, now now the shoe's gonna be on the other foot. And then like I said, March is just a real bear. Um, but the all-star game is coming up. Do you, are you an all-star? Mike hates the all-star game, so I don't think he's gonna are you, are you watching the all-star? I, I watch it, you know, but I just don't want to see anybody get hurt, basically. And uh I just like to hear guys kind of goof around and pretend like hockey players have, have personalities. Um, <laughs> they generally don't, but the, the all-star game is the one time a year where everybody's like, Oh, isn't that funny? Look at that guy wore blue socks. Yeah. Okay, great. That's good I, for him, but. I think now that Dino Char is not going to be doing yeah. the hardest shot. I'm, I'm not going to tune in. That but was it's Adam Pellick. We got to watch Adam Pellick playing the all-star game. Which, cool? which by <laughs> the way, the funniest thing of the season was the fact that when Adam Pellick got named to the all-star team, like, the entirety of like national hockey Twitter was like, this guy is one goal and like two assists. And like, he's basically assisted on every Islander school since then. That makes me <laughs> so like yeah. happy it, for no real reason. I just think it's hilarious. Yeah, no, that is funny. Well, everybody wants to see Barzell for obvious reasons, but you know, my thing with the all-star game, people get all bent out of shape about who's going, who like, it's still a roster that has to be constructed. So this was always, something like this was always going to happen where like, oh, we got too many centers now. All right. Well, I guess this guy's going to, you know, it's like putting a puzzle together. You know, you can only have so many pieces there. But uh, I, I just it will it will be funny to watch Adam Pellick like, you know, take the puck away from somebody behind the net. And that guy going to be able to turn around and be like, what the hell? Did you just steal the puck from me? You know, like the, so uh, and I'm sure a lot of people are going to be like, who are you again? Because they don't recognize him or whatever. But uh, I'm, I'm always when when a guy like that goes. And the Islanders had a lot of guys like that go there, like sort of defensive. Scott Lachance went one year. Yep, yeah. that's right. Kenny Johnson was supposed to go there one year, but he got hurt. Um, but they've always had these sort of like weirdo, even like Marius Tchaikovsky went <laughs> the one year. The the thing that always gets me is like, what is their skill competition 
like slot going to be? Like what skill competition is Adam Pellet going to take part in? I guess I assume the hardest shot he's a defenseman. You know, his shot's not that bad. I'm sure he can do well. But, I mean, is he going to be like a fastest skater? Like I don't know, you know. What is he going to do? I think like the only fun thing about the all-star game is when they, there are like defensive defensemen that are like randomly good at something like, right. like, Oh, I didn't realize this guy could like nail four out of four. In the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, look at this guy. He, he's crunching bodies, but he's also hitting the little nets from across right. the ice. <laughs> right. Like he's not an, he's not an NHL player with NHL skill. <laughs> They're right. just yeah. so shocked that he could do these things. Yeah. But meanwhile, he's probably been doing them in practice for years. Yeah. Nobody, nobody saw it. It wasn't around, so nobody saw it. But anyway, but congratulations to Adam Pellick. It's a really cool thing. And I, I, I like you said, I mean, I have noticed that sort of uptick in, in offense recently. And, you know, if I were him, hell yeah, I'd, I'd feel pretty good about myself going to the All-Star game and, you know, getting a little bit of recognition. So it's nice. So hopefully, you know, he comes back. He, maybe he'll win MVP. You never know. Stranger thing. I mean, this year, I think that would be a funny a funny thing. All the bad things that have happened to the Islanders this year would be how hilarious would it be if Adam Pelly comes out with the all-star game MVP award uh, at the end. And it's going to be in Vegas. So like, it's going to be crazy. There's uh, got like yeah. a huge, like sort of prices, yeah. right? Like b- blackjack wall. That's going to be going on. It's like a whole thing. I don't know. Uh, I'm just so sad that Sidney Crosby isn't going to be there because I feel like Sidney yeah. Crosby, like randomly loves playing with every Islander. Like he's like, Oh, I didn't even, I didn't even know you existed. You're right. actually pretty good. Yeah. Right. And then, he, yeah, then we always have, have the, uh, the uh, the breakdown. Sid Sid loves playing with this. That's great. <laughs> that's right. and actually, and actually, that's a perfect segue to something I want to mention just before we head out. So here we have we we've talked for almost an hour now about all these Islanders games and all their lack of offense and all these things that happened, and we completely forgot about the most monumental thing to have happened in an Islanders game recently, and it, it was like having Sidney Crosby on the team because he does this kind of stuff all the time. But now, if you watch that game on Sunday against the Minnesota Wild, you saw Ross Johnston score on a breakaway. And we talked for an hour, and we completely <laughs> forgot to mention the Ross the Boss scoring on a breakaway. Where were you when Ross Johnston scored on a breakaway? I want to know. What a season. <laughs> yeah. I, I was sitting on my couch, and I was like, wait, what? So that made it two. That made it uh, actually three. That made it three, two. So, uh, sadly that could not be, uh, you know, they couldn't capitalize, but if they can get a few more breakaways from Ross sky's the limit for these. That's, that's it. Like that's (laughs) that's the market inefficiency, right? Like that. You just have to get Ross Johnson, the puck and center ice and let him, let him roar. Yeah. He's, he's been the missing, the missing piece this whole time, but anyway, well, Carrie Haber, thank you for coming on with us again. Yeah, we really appreciate it. It was, uh, you know, we, we I asked you kind of on short notice, but I'm glad you can make it. Uh, so where can everybody find you on Twitter? Yes, thank you. You can find me at Haber Metrics. It's like Saber Metrics, but with an H. And um, I honestly, I, I basically just muse on there these days, but <laughs> I enjoy doing that and enjoy conversing with everyone. So yeah, yeah please follow me there. So there you go. So find Carrie at Haber Metrics. And, uh, you know, if, if you have any questions, and I, I always say this when you're on, but I do mean it. Like every time, if somebody has any questions about, you know, the underlying stats and like, you know, now these things are starting to creep into more and more articles, if you're especially if you're really athletic or even, you know, our stuff. Like if you're like, what does that number mean? Or what is that supposed to, you know, indicate? Or how is that good? <laughs> like something like that. Reach out to Carrie because he's really one of the, 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 the the friendliest and, and most like sort of accommodating people to answer these questions. Like, you know, a lot of people throw a chart of blobs 
into a story and are like, Hey, check it out. And it's like, I don't know what these blobs mean or these lines or whatever. And, and, you know, Carrie is, does a good job of explaining what those things mean and how it's good or bad for a team. So if you have any questions like that, you should reach out to him and find him because he will help you and he wants to help you and <laughs> help everybody understand. So thank you for doing that. And uh, thank you for listening. Read lighthouse hockey every single day. Uh, and uh, we will be back. Actually, I just booked our next weird Islanders coming this week. I promise you, you're not going to want to miss it. Another home run choice by our special guest. You'll find out later this week. And uh, Mike will be back soon, too. Don't worry about it. But uh, Carrie, thanks again. Really appreciate you coming on with us. Thank you, Dan. And uh, we'll talk to you guys uh, later. And uh, sometime, I guess, after the All-Star game. All right. Take care. Enjoy the All-Star game. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.